0: I'm Kate Northrup,
1: and I'm Mike Watts, and we're partners in life, love, and business.
0: Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living.
1: Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Mike.
0: This is Kate this is the ask us anything part two show so thanks for everybody who submitted questions we had more than we could cover in one episode so i think we should just get right into it
1: mike yeah i think so that's a good call okay this is rebecca gentilian yeah i think that's how you pronounce your name thank you so much so what sales tips would you you have Amazing questions here. You have like five amazing questions. So we are going to go through this. What sales tips would you offer to introverts?
0: Well, I'm not an introvert. Neither am I. So just let's start there. But I will say that I think introverts have an advantage in sales because introverts can... Now, I think... Extroverts can be extremely attuned and great listeners as well, but I think introverts might be like a little bit better naturally at listening and listening is an essential, essential ingredient of selling. If you get somebody talking about themselves and sharing their problems and what they need and where they want to go, all you need to do is match up what they said with what you have to offer if in fact it is a match and that's it i mean it's like you just listen to them and then match up what you got with what they said and and there you go yeah i mean that's really simple but it really is simple
1: it's not I, i feel like in sales it's become too complicated right like all you're doing is you have a product and service you're offering to somebody that actually wants it like it's very simple right and then if I'm selling gas at a gas station, I don't go to the the bakery and try to sell gas, right? Like, you're at the gas station to offer people gas.
0: I think sales has and gotten, you know, has started to, like, sales gets a bad rap because we've been used to being sold to things that we don't actually want. Right. But if you have qualified leads and you are attracting them in a way that is based on their true desires and their true challenges... And you're attracting them to an offer that is going to actually help solve their problems. Sales becomes really easy. Mm -hmm. Introverted, extroverted.
1: It shouldn't be complicated. Yeah. Some of the best salespeople we know are introverts. Oh, for sure. They listen. Good listeners. Yeah. But the reality is like when it comes to if you listen to anybody talk about sales, it doesn't matter who it is. You just apply that back to yourself you know it's like if an extrovert's giving tips sales tips if somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk is giving sales tips you just apply that to you like how you would do or it or how you would do it right and so he's a very extroverted man right so you just filter the advice through your own body and apply for yourself how do you think your involvement with Usana impacted how you built your businesses business businesses Would you recommend network marketing as a starting point?
0: I would absolutely recommend network marketing as a starting point. I mean, we both, I'll speak for myself, but first of all, we met through USANA, so I'll be forever grateful. Um, And number two, I got some of the best business training I have ever received through network marketing. Just in understanding people, in human psychology, in human behavior, in marketing, in sales, in customer service, in follow-up, in business systems. I mean, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. just having all those pieces on board already made the learning curve, I think, way less steep. You know, when I started my blog in 2010, I made nine grand within the first couple of months. Because I already knew how to sell stuff. There's no way that would have happened if I hadn't been already coming from a successful sales background.
1: Agreed. Yeah, it shortens the learning curve, like Kate said, you know, because the downside of a network marketing business is that you do not control the company, right? You control your business like that what you control your output, you can control what you do. You do not control what your team does. You do not control what the company does. So, like, for example, like USANA changes a product, there's nothing that I can do about that because it's USANA's business. Right. So, that's the downside. But the good side is, is all that stuff is taken care of, the research. So, you just, if you are going to look at a network marketing business, is make sure it's a very reputable one, one that's been around longer than I know there's like, I'm not into the get started in the first year of a brand new company and try to like, you know, there's a lot of benefits from that. But for me, like I want something that's been around a little bit longer because it's established and I'm not a, I'm not afraid it's going to disappear in six months. I know a lot of people that have been in that situation. So just find a really good company of products that you actually like. You know, that's the key is you want to have a company that it likes. But a lot of the training is already done for you and a lot of products are and you're just you're focused on what your first question was, is you're focused on building your sales. And it's, it's just like it's also confidence like you're really building your confidence as you're going out and talking about this business and the products more than anything else what's your biggest surprise about parenthood
0: it's just it's so much harder than i ever could have imagined i just thought because i wanted to have kids so badly i'd be naturally good at it and somehow it would also (laughs) feel easy and second nature to me sometimes it does sometimes i'm like yep I feel like I was born to do this and a lot of the time I'm just like why is this so hard? I'm not as good at this as I thought I was going to be.
1: I second that. Yeah, it's also like how your life in a way becomes a blur. We're just so tired. <laughs> you know, like that's the that's the most fascinating part of like it's like wow, Penelope's almost 5. You know, and it's like what happened the last 5 years? And of course there's so many great times, but it's a relentless. It's amazing and relentless all at the same time parenting is
0: relentless
1: the parenting is relentless (laughs) but i've also learned so much from it you know it's taught me amazing lessons no the love is so big yeah it's huge and it's we're at a fun stage with Mm -hmm. ruby as ruby got out of her like her beginning of twos were intense now she's like she's like happy about life i think again yeah she sits
0: on the counter she goes i happy i happy yeah
1: (laughs) could you share an experience of an early day that felt like building a business was too much and what motivated you to keep going
0: do you have one honey
1: um i mean honestly the early that was like my first five years or something like the first three years of building a business now i also started a business before i had children right so If you're starting a business when you have kids, you're at a different stage. But it's like I had the woman that I was dating at the time didn't quite understand why I would work and make 100 phone calls a day. Right. Like she was just like, I don't get it. You know, and so that was a little challenging is that the person that I was dating at the time did not see eye to eye and the vision and the direction I wanted to go. And what motivated me to keep going was like I wanted something greater than what I was currently living. Like I wanted to live a different life than what I was living. And it was helpful to be, you know, I'm so grateful for my time working at Philip Morris from the perspective of just being around people and seeing what it was like to be in a factory for 30 years because I watched a lot and I'm still friends with a lot of these people and, you know, they're great people, right? Amazing people, but it was not the way I wanted to live my life, you know, as being in a factory for 30 years like there was something i wanted to do different so that was really it was my why i guess you could say because when the time did come to have kids (laughs) the time when i came to have kids like that was the real reason is be able to stay at home with them and now it's like you know now it's the hardest thing that i've
0: now you're just trying to escape
1: now i'm just trying to get away from them yeah so that was mine what about you i don't have one you don't have one i'd
0: be making something up okay uh great (laughs) So, I mean, there, it's not to say that there weren't hard moments, but I can't, there was never a moment of like, I can't do this. This is too much. Like,
1: yeah, I never had. I, like, I think part yeah. of
0: it is, you know, the privilege of being raised in a family of entrepreneurs. Like, I just always sort of assumed that that's what I would do, oddly. So there wasn't really that, like, oh, is this going to work? That was not really a question.
1: Yeah. I would say from people that didn't understand what I was doing was where a lot of it came from was like, do you stop? You know, because they it was like questioning what I was doing. And I knew what I was going into your next question. I'll just go right there. But from a body first, business second perspective, how do you determine what's uncomfortable but needs to be done and what is not your work?
0: That is a very interesting question. Mm -hmm. I love that question. So here's an example. Last week... We released a podcast episode with now, of course, when I say last week, don't try to figure out the weeks because the way where you've been recording episodes and bonus episodes and this one and that one, whatever. Why don't
1: you just tell them what it is?
0: I, I'm going to. Oh, okay. A couple of weeks, whatever it was a bit ago. <laughs> Recently. We released an episode with Dr. Zach Bush, which was incredibly enthusiastically received by most of our community and not by some. And the sum were important messengers. Now, I had an experience for about 48 hours where I had an internal experience of panic and like I was physically unsafe, like I was physically in danger. So I sort of rode that wave for 48 hours. Now, that is a typical trauma response of, you know, feeling like we're going to die because of, you know, the fear of being cast out of the community, right? At least it's typical for me. I don't know if it's typical for other people, but this is something I have experienced before. And it's a real physical sensation that it's pretty awful. Like it feels pretty awful for me. In that moment, I was having a physical sensation that was deeply uncomfortable. And it could have told me like one interpretation of that could be, oh, well, ignore it, delete the comments, don't engage, oh, like move away from this, right? Like this feels uncomfortable to look at, so I should avoid it or move in the opposite direction. But what I really knew deep down underneath the panic was the truth which is that I needed to take responsibility for the way I handled a moment in that interview and responsibility for going deeper and really sticking with my values of equity and inclusion. And then I reached out to Dr. Zach Bush to say, hey, like we missed the mark here. Would you be willing to have a follow-up conversation? Again, not comfortable. Like that didn't feel comfortable in my body to go do that, right? To say like, you know, hey, I think we screwed up. like can you come back to a guest who I respect? However, there's like something deeper underneath that calls us to our work, to our mission, to our purpose, and to our values. and it's this like the way it feels for me is like a boulder rolling really slowly, so it's this deeper more methodical, like this is the direction we need to go. And yes, it may bring up sensations of fear and bring up all kinds of things, but like that's where we need to go. And I think this comes from practice. So I have been in the practice of listening to my body my whole life at some points more than others, but when you get in that relationship and you get in the daily practice of listening and asking, just becomes really clear when something's right or not, not based on discomfort in your body, but based on like more of a feeling of expansion or contraction, which is a bit oversimplified. But, and I have to say, I find it challenging to describe sensations in the body in a way that other people would understand like it's hard to put language around it and so what i really want to say is like well you just know
1: well but that's you, not helpful <laughs> no that's not helpful so you shared last night on your facebook live with raw goddess that's on raw goddess's facebook page that you can listen to
0: also it'll be linked in the show notes
1: yeah so you can one example you gave is how let's say you have not been in touch with like how your body feels over time which is i'm a person that Kate is talking to when she says that, what I'm learning too about that over the past few years. But it's like when you're sitting down at dinner, and if there's two options for drink, let's say, do I want beer or do I want water? Right? And so, a very practical example is like, do I want beer? Close my eyes. Let me feel into it. Do I want water? Close my eyes. Let me feel into it. And go and your body is going to tell you which one you actually want. And some days you might want beer, some days you might want water, right? Like whatever, it doesn't matter. But at least you're starting, it's starting very simple because what Kate is describing has been her lifelong experience of listening to her body. And so, it's starting with very practical little tasks that can be done. And like when you found your purpose, or what did you say? When you found your work, quote unquote, You're still going to do things that are uncomfortable in your job, in your business. All the freaking time. All the time. All the time. Like you run a business, the majority, like at least my role in our side of our company has been for the last few years. It's like I push a lot of paper around. Like in many ways, like there's a lot of paper that has to be filed. And when you run a business, like there's a lot of paper just ends up like things to sign, contracts, bills to pay, like all this stuff and keeps going. Right. And like, I don't want to be like doing that all day. But like some days that's what it requires, you know, like for loans or whatever comes in, there's a lot of paper.
0: Well, and I think there's also a difference between tasks that aren't particularly like exciting, like yes. paperwork. Yeah. And the deep discomfort right. of growth. Correct. So like experiencing a public screw up, deep discomfort of necessary growth. Mm-hmm. Definitely part of my work.
1: Yes. Agreed. I mean, and that's like, and you can either run away from it or you go into it, you know, and you, what happens is when you go into it, like the, like post Zach Bush, like part two came out either before or after this episode, uh, that you're listening to right now. I can't, I do <laughs> yeah, part two, we recorded part two of Zach Bush. So what happens over time is exactly what Kate talked about is that you become, cause back at the beginning of your business, it's your experience of let's say a screw up, it could go on for a month. You could freak out about something for a month. And it's like, you think your world's ending and now. And it could take you out of the
0: game. Right. Completely.
1: Exactly. And it completely, yeah, your whole business could collapse because of it. But now after doing this for 10, 12, 15 years, it's like 48 hours, right? And in 10 years from now, it could be like...
0: I hope it's An hour. An hour.
1: Right? And then five But I hope I never
0: lose that sensitivity at the same time. Correct. Because I think that when we... Yes, I understand people talk about like, we shouldn't care what anyone else thinks. Yes, and the day I stop caring what you, our community, feels, that's the day it's over for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not here to please you, and I may do things that rub you the wrong way, but I am committed to Learning. continue to do better and also to to listen, hmm. you know, really to listen. And what I found, and you said this, Mike, is like when you go into it, right? So I actually just went into conversation with the people who were upset by the episode and the vast majority were like, oh, whoa, like... Either I didn't ex- like, I'm just like, thanks for being mm-hmm. here for the conversation. And so there was a softening, like there was an immediate softening in, okay, this feels really uncomfortable. I really want to hide in a cave. But if I move towards it, there was this immediate softening and and it actually built some really cool connections with people in our community and led to some conversations that felt really healing to me and and we've gotten feedback that they were really healing so i'm here for it it sucks but i'm yeah. here for
1: it So <laughs> great i mean it's a great way to handle confronting situations is just talk to the people that are upset you know and, and, and a lot of times we run away from it or we avoid it and you know and that's where it, i meant i wanted to ask zach this on part two but we ran out of time because he posted a video of this guy from Australia. I don't know anything about this guy, but it's he, he can be... I guess he's on the news and he's very confronting in some of the news he delivers. And it's not very nice sometimes, I guess. But the way he was answering questions in the comments was very much like what you were talking about. Where it wasn't about that person. It was about what he was saying. And then people were upset with this guy getting posted and even time that zach was posting but the way zach was answering it was very lovely he was responding to what the people what the people were commenting on and saying it's the same thing with like what raw talked about on our podcast about you know because i was like how do you deliver a smackdown with love in a way right and so yeah if you didn't listen to the raw goddess episode go back and do that okay the next question comes from mm, this is from instagram boo I don't know how to say this. How do you say this?
0: Bo cat.
1: Okay. I'd love to hear more about your birth story. Did the hospital give you a hard time about something? You mentioned in a previous post that it was relief to be released. Would love to hear more.
0: I'm going to try to make this short. I could do days on my birth stories, but the very short version is with Penelope. I went into labor at home. We had a planned home birth. I labored for 12 hours. I got to 10 centimeters. The midwife checked me. Penelope was coming out. But first, in the state of Maine, it is illegal for a midwife to deliver a breech baby at home. So we had to call. I I obviously didn't at that point. I was sort of like in another state. But the ambulance was called. The paramedics came in. And I couldn't walk at that point. So I had to be transported. They bring that thingy where they make the stretcher under you with the from the two sides, sort of like salad tongs in a way.
1: (laughs) That's pretty funny. (laughs)
0: They carried me out. And, you know, as I'm in full active labor, basically, my body was pushing Penelope out. And the midwife was in the back of the ambulance with me telling me I needed to just blow through the contractions. And it felt like was like the most intense thing I've ever experienced. And I just remember holding the paramedics hand. I, and I've never seen this man's face. I just like holding this person's hand. And it was all I could do to just basically not die. The paramedics could not believe that I They kept asking if I was stable. They kept wanting to check my vitals because they couldn't believe how calm I was for a woman in active labor at 10 centimeters. But I had to really contain my energy. And then we got to the hospital and I was checked by the OB on on call. And he said that she was coming out one foot up and one foot down, which is not a great way for a baby to come out. So he said I needed a C-section. I was the woman being wheeled in, refusing an IV, refusing, like refusing everything. And I told him I would not be having a C-section, but luckily my mom had followed the ambulance and she had a chat with him. And, and it was the first time I opened my eyes during the process. She came and looked me in the eyes and she said, honey, this is a good idea. Like a C-section is a good idea at this point. So you did a little advocating. You want to tell the advocating you were doing about the operating room?
1: Oh, yeah. she Kate kept asking for water. and like No,
0: no. It wasn't about the water.
1: Oh, no. There was the water oh, okay. thing. okay. I don't remember that. Where she's laying in the bed in the hospital when we get there. And she's like, I want some water. And I was like, nurse, can we get some water? And she's like, no, she can't have water. She's about to go in surgery. I was like, she's been in labor for 12 hours drinking water. Drinking water for the next 10 minutes is not going to have that big of an effect. What was the other part?
0: No, about advocating to get my mom and you into the operating room.
1: Oh, yeah. Like I was just, you know, and I know not everybody's mom used to be deliver babies here. So, but it was really about the support that we had, I think, into both births, actually, because we really surrounded ourselves with a good team. But I just, you know, it made sense to, I wanted Kate's mom to be there because I didn't know what the heck was happening, you know? And so just because we had her, her as a resource, I was like, she needs to come with it. And they're like, well, we can only have one person. I was like, she used to deliver babies in this hospital. I think it'll be fine. You know, like, and so your mom actually has all the pictures and the videos of the birth. And, Which we,
0: I've still never yeah. seen. But it's almost Penelope's fifth birthday. So I think I'm ready to see pictures of my C-section. Yeah. So got wheeled in for surgery. And Penelope was born. And she wasn't breathing. So she had to be taken to kind of get her lungs jump-started. And my mom was over by her and Mike just was by me, just assuring me that everything was okay, even though I know you didn't know everything was okay. And Penelope kind of got jump-started and then and then they brought her over. And then what ensued was just from that moment, like Penelope just needed, she was sick. She was basically, she was just sick. And so- we found out she had some kind of infection. There was some lung thing or whatever. And they told us rather than me being discharged that us being discharged that we would need to stay in the hospital for seven days and she was going to have to get IV antibiotics twice a day, which from what we've learned about the microbiome is just like so brutal to I'm just like, oh God, even talking about it, it's like really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... It felt like this constant and then like I was trying to heal from surgery and, you know, Penelope wouldn't eat and her weight was going down. It was like so many things. And then she had this IV in her head and I was just like losing my mind. And I just like they just kept coming in like they just kept bugging us about all these things. And just like so I just felt like the whole time we were in the hospital while listen, labor and delivery nurses and like maternity nurses are absolute angels. And like anybody who goes into healthcare is an absolute angel. And the system is really broken. So I was there trying to heal. We had the sick baby. And like they were freaking waking me up every hour to bug me about stuff and coming and get the baby and check your vitals and all this stuff. So I just felt like I had to fight people off for seven days while I was losing my mind. And so basically, yes. When we finally were released, I felt like we were being released from like, it was as my friend who had the very similar birth experience six weeks before that said, she referred to it as a (laughs) Kafka-esque fun house of a baby jail. (laughs) And that is how it felt. It just was not a good week. Mm -mm. So did the hospital give us a hard time? Yeah. Yeah. They did. Were they also really helpful? Yeah. So that's I don't know. That's kind of my answer. Do
1: you want to talk about Ruby?
0: Oh, Ruby was a pretty different experience.
1: Their personalities are so it's I, amazing. How they come into the world. And
0: I like... wanted to. Do, I wanted to have a VBAC. So in the state of Maine, if you want to, you have to have a VBAC at the hospital, unless you are delivered by at home by an unlicensed midwife. So we decided to go with that. We went to a different hospital, which has a really beautiful birth center. And my girlfriends who had delivered there said it was sort of like a, you know, maternity spa kind of thing. (laughs) I was like, okay, that sounds great. And so I went into labor with Ruby and uh, labored at home for a while. And then we thought it would be a good idea to bring Penelope with us to the hospital and it was just much gentler, like just the contractions were much more gentle. And I think when we got to the hospital, I was maybe eight centimeters or nine centimeters. And then they had to hook me up to all this stuff. And it was like a whole freaking thing. And, you know, Ruby's heart rate was dropping and they were all scared. And I was like, she's fine. I just knew she was fine. There was a lot of hullabaloo
1: and the OB. Well, they were like, concerned about you originally. Because yeah. has a Kate's blood pressure and heart rate are low. Just yeah. normal, just really like way lower. I,
0: I like blackout when I stand up.
1: Yeah. So Not they were <laughs> really concerned about her. And yeah. So
0: anyway, so OB was like threatening me with, you know, using the vacuum to get Ruby out and then a repeat C section. And this is like after I had given one push, <laughs> I was pissed. Yeah. And luckily, we had an amazing naturopathic midwife there as our doula, but really, she like saved the day. She was just like giving me homeopathy and whispering things in my ears, and just like she just was a total angel. And so I pushed Ruby out from first push to last push in 42 minutes, which is pretty quick for somebody who's never pushed a baby out. She had a hundredth percentile head size. So I, also had a third degree tear and a postpartum hemorrhage. So that was hard, but you know, she came out, she was like this sweet little baby. And uh, with Ruby, it was, you know, like just God, the contracts we have with our kids with Ruby, it was just like, she came out and I was just like, Oh, there you are. Like, it just felt like I'd known her for a million years and there she was. And you had a very different experience of Ruby's birth.
1: I did, Which but we've we're, talked about we're not here to talk about me.
0: Sometime. We've talked about it on the podcast when yeah. we're talking about your skin. Mm-hmm. So those are my birth stories. So yes, the hospital gave me a hard time for both of them. And I was a total birthing badass and told everybody no about everything. And I was probably one of their most pain in the ass patients they've ever had. And I'm damn proud. <laughs> because as penelope says to her little friend down the street you are not in charge of my body i am in charge of my body (laughs) i heard her say that to him the
1: other day and i was like oh that's my girl (laughs) it's good should we go to the next question yeah yeah so this is from cassandra solano
0: hi cassandra
1: I'm planning on starting a podcast and one episode a month will be with my husband and sharing more behind the scenes of our lives. Best and worst things you did in the beginning doing a podcast together.
0: Go for it, honey.
1: I mean, I don't know in the beginning. We just started recording.
0: Best thing, we, know, just we just went for
1: it. Yeah, we just started. We decided we wanted to do it and then we did it. Mm-hmm. So,
0: And we did it consistently every week yeah. for four years.
1: Yeah, that's been the best thing. Best
0: thing, yeah. yeah. Worst thing?
1: What's the worst thing about us doing a podcast together?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think that, Oh, well, I don't know. I think that this worked out fine. Like, I don't know that we had like some big grand vision Mm-mm. with the podcast. It's really become something that took on a life of its own. And I'm grateful for that. I don't know that it was like ever the most strategic move and that's also great. Like, yeah. I think some of the most beautiful things in our business haven't been the most strategic things. And so, for me, at least, it's it's been the joy of doing it. It's, like, been really fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, we've been on our own journey that we talked about a few episodes ago when it was going from good to great in the when we announced that we were ending the podcast. But it's, like... We wouldn't known that. St- we didn't know that stuff in the beginning. You know, it's just, it's like part of the journey. And I think that's the beautiful part. That goes back to the business question that I think it was Rebecca asked. And it's like, that's the journey of business. And like on this, right? It's the journey of life. We're on it. Yeah. But I would say to just have. Have fun. Have fun. You know, like if your husband gets on there and it's not fun for both of you, this isn't meant to be. And just like make sure that I think it's like having clear expectations like what each one of you want to get out of doing this? You know, I think it's a good thing to talk about beforehand. There's some good prep work to talk about, just like chat about what is the goal for doing this. Cause I know Amy Porterfield has shared before about bringing Hobie on and Hobie's like, this is funny. Like I'm just talking in no microphone, right? He's a firefighter, right? So he's just like, what are we doing here? I mean, like, you man, know? Hobie's, Hobie's great. He's amazing. But <laughs> it's like, you know, Hobie just, (laughs) he's just laughing about it. Right. So it is, which is great. You know, that's their vibe, right? Like those two Hobie is Amy Porterfield's husband. I don't know if I stated that, but basically like, they're not going to do a podcast together all the time, you know, not at this point, but yeah, just like have a clear, like what each one of you want, you know, or what would you like from him when he comes on to share? So maybe it's your, your show. And then he's just going to come on. Okay, so this is from Laura Collins Official. I This is an, from Instagram. Hi, Kate. You've often referred to your background in dance. What kind of dance do or did you study and how far did you go with it?
0: So I started dance magic at the age of three, <laughs> which was like, you know, jazz, ballet, creative movement for little kids. I did jazz dance all the way through to college. I also did some tap in there, a little bit of ballet, a little bit of hip hop, a lot of musical theater. And then in college, I joined a West African dance company. So I did four years of West African dance with a master dance teacher from Mali, and master drummers from Mali, and then i was in a latin dance company and i did everything from bachata merengue we did what oh my gosh i'm completely completely forgetting the word for the kind of dance from brazil samba we did samba We did that. And then I was also in a modern dance company at Brown. So I did some modern. And then most recently, I really like going to hip hop class. Oh, I also did a bunch of pole dancing in New York. I was, I was an S factor dancer and did that for many years. That was like my spiritual practice for a while. I think that pretty much covers it.
1: The end. Well, to be continued.
0: Oh, yeah. And so I still go to dance class. Uh, Now, currently, I am not going to dance class in COVID, but I look forward to going back.
1: This is from, I believe, somebody on Instagram or Facebook, but Emma Rito Movement. Definitely want to know how you run your money meetings. My husband and I have a lot of work to do on that front. I'm just starting.
0: I think we covered this. Yes,
1: we did that in part part one. one. Of, when we
0: were answering Asia Ray's question.
1: Yes. So definitely go back there, Emma. Next, we have Jade Grimwood. She would like to know about the Adele Kiss Cam story. Okay. And she has two questions, but that's the first one. So the Adele Kiss Cam story. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kate and I, if you go to YouTube and you Google Adele London show, this was in 17.
0: 2017
1: i surprised kate with tickets to the adele concert in london because it's very practical Practical. (laughs) right so (laughs) i heard her tickets were going on sale and we missed in the united states because we wanted to go see adele in the united states and i missed the deadline and then tickets were up to like two grand or whatever so but anyway we got to i was online at the right time when they went on sale and got tickets to go see adele in london So Kate and I did a a trip to London for like five or six days and that was great. But we went to the Adele show and, you know, they had a kiss cam thing going around and I, what I like looked at you and was like, you
0: just were like, we're going to be on that. And you were like, here's what we're going to do when it happens. There were 30,000 people. No,
1: no, no. In the stadium.
0: Oh, there this were was the
1: soccer stadium. A
0: hundred thousand people at Wembley Stadium. And Mike just was like, We're gonna be on the kiss cam. Here's the plan when it happens. And Mike is right about these things. Like, I don't know why. And so I was just like, Okay. And then literally within three minutes, we were.
1: Yeah. And then we stood up. At the goal, the thing I told Kate was we have to stand up and I'm gonna dip you and kiss you while I dip you. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened is we and then i we cheered.
0: will link the video in the yeah, show notes
1: we should download that from the internet because that you know if it ever goes away we always have it
0: that was such a magical night
1: yeah and so i always wanted to know if it's somebody recorded it and put the and literally somebody recorded just the kiss cam and it's online yeah it was amazing seeing a dell concert was unbelievable that was so amazing okay jade's second question is But seriously, her question is, fast forward 10 years, where are you, who are you, and what are you doing? So that is 2030. Okay.
0: So I'm 48. I'm 47. I'm 47. The Do Less Planner is now a household. Like, it is the known planner for women who are awake. Ambitious awake women. We're selling millions of them. People who use the do less planner do not necessarily know who I am. And that's part of my business vision. And I'm probably writing memoirs. And our kids are, I guess, what, Ruby's twelve and Penelope's fifteen. And wow. maybe we're living in the south of france or in on a greek isle i don't know i'm dancing a lot
1: i'm in can i come with you
0: yeah and then there's a whole well i don't want to tell about my other business ideas but there's like a whole other thing
1: yeah no you don't want to say that all that other stuff is happening yeah what am i doing in 10 years hmm. definitely 10 years ago is not where i thought i would be right now so that's pretty cool Taking our kids to, uh, on field trips. Yeah. 12 and 15, I guess. I, or if they are on field trips. I don't, who knows? School might not even exist then. I am. What am I doing? I am like really working on what my calling is. Like at you're this living moment. your calling. Yeah, I'm living it. Intakers. But I'm still processing what that is right now. You know? And I think that's part of the ending of the show is for me to really discover what that is. And I'm like living and I'm having fun. And it's joyful. Mike is in joy land, and like life feels great. Where are you, and what are you doing? Where will we be? I mean, I like the Greek Isles. That sounds great to me. We're yeah, just—we've already talked about to that.
0: Live, Mamma Mia, and
1: we're going to live, Mamma Mia. Yeah, there will be a um, lot
0: of singing, Abba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. our life will be a musical (laughs) our friends are trying to raise money to make their movie so they
0: are raising money
1: or they are raising money to make their movie so if you in greece which is in greece if you would like to get a visa to live in greece you know you can just hit me up on dm and i'll explain how to do that but you need 250k basically to be able to do that so if you got 250k laying around and you want to live in greece or europe and um, have a golden visa and have a golden visa we know somebody that can help you with that so just hit me up on instagram what i'll be doing it's i feel like i'll still be mountain biking yeah like i'm really digging that so i'll be doing that and just like like living a life of fun that i only dreamed of when i was like four and now that's what i feel like at this point that's what i'm doing All right. Leah Tucker. What advice do you have for someone out there listening who is working a way, creating good things in the world, has inspired original ideas, know they could be valuable to others, but does not have a platform more than a handful of friends? What is the best and most respectful way to capture attention without unintentionally being weird or fan gushing too much? I know you did an episode about it ages ago for podcast pitches. I think it was curious whether you have more to say to inspire masses to keep the faith?
0: Mm. So I love this question. Number one, I wanna say consistency. Mm. So the number of times I hear from people who are really wanting to build a platform and get their ideas out there and they're not actually doing it. Like, And what I mean by doing it is deciding on the content you're gonna put out, decide on the medium, Is it going to be written? Is it going to be audio? Is it going to be video? Is it going to be art? What are you putting out there? And do the work and put it out there in a consistent way through your channels. And over time, when you show up consistently like that, I mean, I'm not saying it's magic, but consistency is the silver bullet. Showing up consistently and committing, whether it's going to be every other week, whether it's going to be weekly and sticking with it. It may take longer than you think it should. But the thing that the folks who build a platform have done that other people don't do is that they stayed consistent even when it felt like it was taking too long and they kept showing up. I have created free weekly content every week, pretty much since 2010 10 years we've been talking We're it's a decade folks it's not magic it's showing up and doing the work and showing up and creating things that are useful to people so not just like random slapped together right like really tapping into your heart really tapping Mm -hmm. into your customers hearts and creating things that are useful and being willing to tweak and test and, you know, change directions. And like, you know, our business doesn't look like it did 10 years ago, nor would I have expected it to. But my word for you is consistency.
1: That's great. Yeah. Cause the consistency helps you, you get better, you're gaining confidence. And as you're getting more consistent, your voice is being, I don't want to say refined. Yes, that's the word. Yeah, refined. And you'll start to resonate with people. So, yeah. Anyway, the next question is any advice for imposter syndrome? Sometimes you're immersed in growth work and current thought leader work. It can be easily w- wondered whether someone else said that thing or was inspired in original. This can complicate imposter syndrome if working on limiting belief about self-worth value being at the table.
0: Yeah, I have struggled a lot with this. I think, you know, some folks might assume having a famous mom makes you somehow immune to imposter syndrome. But I think in certain ways, it's like, I don't know that it makes it worse, but certainly has felt really relevant to me feeling like, who am I ever to say anything? Because, you know, both of my parents have a lot of letters after their names, right? So I don't have any... (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah i feel you and i also want to say that i have found the antidote to imposter syndrome is identifying my calling and being in alignment with my calling and that work was with raw goddess and her book the calling is a wonderful place to start because Mm -hmm. when we are living our calling like i no longer have any doubt that i'm the person for this because it's so clear that this is my work and you know it's taken me 10 years to say that and it's sort of like yesterday is when i started feeling that way. <laughs> so stick with it stay in the game live your calling figure out what your calling is continue to refine it and the more you make it about the why and the bigger mission the less you will be distracted by wondering
1: if you deserve to be at the table. Mm, It's beautiful. And there is something, you know, because I started off, like when I started in a business, I actually just watched this guy's videos and then took notes and then redid the videos in my me speaking, but like using his notes because that's what I thought was the right thing to do. But I kind of put it in my own voice and my own little place on it Now I would not do that because it was almost, I don't, it wasn't plagiarism, but it was in a way I was taking his ideas and then claiming them to be myself in a way. And, you know, but that's what I knew at that moment. Right. And so now understanding, like if I read a book, let's say I read Money, A Love Story by Kate Northrup, and then I share my biggest takeaways from that book. I'm putting her message into my own words about what I found valuable out of that right and it's a way to share people's information that you are resonating with
0: that's been oprah's career
1: right so she's
0: freaking queen
1: yeah she's built this amazing brand from it right and so it's like to just really i think it goes back to what kate said with raw and your calling but recognizing like what would you like to share what is it that you're building your business around you know, and I think in the beginning when you are like putting yourself out there for the first time, sharing your biggest learnings about like maybe you just listen to this podcast and be like, these are my biggest takeaways. It's like Gary V had this saying about it was like document, don't create or something that wasn't right. But it was basically like documenting your journey. And so as you're learning what you're going through, just document that because that is its own learning in itself. That's creating its own content. You don't have to sit around and be like, I got to write this book. Right. Like if you sit down at the table and be, I can't share anything until I write this book. Documenting the journey of writing the book is very valuable to a lot of people.
0: And I also want to say, Leah, there is no such thing as an original thought. Yeah. Like I might say something in an original way, but it's highly unlikely that I'm the first person who said it. So I am a huge believer in sourcing our ideas, referencing, you know, referencing where things come from. I'm huge on that. And, like, sometimes it's just the way that you said it. Mm-hmm. And that's enough of a difference. And somebody will hear it from you in a way they could never have heard it from somebody else.
1: Yeah, it's also timing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then perhaps you'd like to talk about your move to Canada. Leah has this funny thing. She's trying to get me to move to Canada or gets all of us to move to Canada. She's sending me beautiful. These photos are spectacular of P-E-I, Prince Edward Island. Oh, oh beautiful. Prince
0: Edward Island is stunning.
1: I joke to cope. I'm pretty sad. It's coming to up to the last episode. You all have been one of my favorites for sure. Thanks, Leah. Thank you so much. All right, and the last question comes in from Holly Summer, Sumner? Sumner, 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 so many questions I would love to have answers to. But my biggest thing is, how do you two make it work like you do? Oh, I know therapy has been brought up, but how did you get there and get through it? Well, we're not through it yet. I think we'll continue
0: to go to therapy for the rest of our lives. Yes. So to me, therapy, I will go to therapy is the not a life. temporary thing. Therapy no. is continued maintenance. And it is not something to get through. It's something to enjoy the process of.
1: Yeah, uh, that's great. Also, how can you work together and live together? That seems like a lot of together time.
0: Well, I mean, you find us at an interesting moment to answer this question because <laughs> it's all changing for the last 10 years we have largely worked together, lived together and parented together. And just over the last couple of months, we've been in this process of unraveling and unraveling the working together part. I also, we mentioned I got an office outside the home for the first time. And so every day I go to the office and I do not see Mike mostly between the hours of eight and four 30 most of the time. And so we're in a really different place and There's some sadness there. There's definitely some grief. And also there's a lot of freedom. So I can just say therapy, (laughs) therapy, therapy. (laughs) How did we end up in therapy? Well, we were having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And I had said to Mike before we got married, I said, I will marry you. And you have to agree that if we're having a hard time, you will go to therapy. And he agreed. And so, when we were having a hard time, this was when Penelope was like a year old. So, it was the summer of 2016. Mm -hmm. She wasn't even a year. She was close to a year. I pulled the therapy card and I said, hey, you agreed to this. We've talked about this before. Yep. Mike was hesitant. But then, what did you realize?
1: I realized it's like hiring. If I'm running, hiring somebody to help us with money or marketing or Facebook ads or graphic design, why wouldn't we just do the same thing for our marriage exactly and so yeah so there you go we
0: didn't see it as a failure Nope. we saw it as an opportunity for growth and i'm sure we will continue to have therapy every few months for the long haul so
1: that's that's one piece there uh, Charlemagne the god he's a radio dj i guess is that what you call he talks on the radio there i don't radio host yeah, radio host. Who's it? Like, I'm confused by what's the a radio DJ, DJ plays music, right? But uh, then other people that just talk. They call have themselves. a radio yeah. show. So anyway, they have a radio show called The Breakfast Club, and he has been edu- He's been in therapy for a while. He's written a couple of books about therapy, and he really talks to the black community about he's a black man about going to therapy and the benefits that has been from there. And he talks about how it's looked down upon inside of the black community now. I don't know. I'm not black. So, but at least I'm going through his voice for myself as a guy. It was the same thing, right? I looked at it as like, we can just fix all of our own problems. But now being through therapy for between you and I, but also I'll talk about the next part in a second. It has been the expectation that we are in a relationship with one person. Like if we're in a one person relationship with each other, two person monogamy, yeah. That's a monogamous relationship. But even if you're not in a monogamous relationship, the expectation that like that person should be able to handle all your stuff is so crazy, right? Like if we bring all of our issues to each other and we're supposed to fix it and solve it is so crazy because you have lineage drama and trauma that comes into play. You have like you have in-laws that come into play in your regular life, like the whole shebang. So, I would say the number one thing that has helped us is what Kate said was therapy and for us to be able to work together and live together and function like this together in our lives. And yeah, and with the biggest, it's also, we don't see the same therapist like sometimes i'll go one-on-one with the therapist kate has another therapist that she goes one-on-one with
0: it takes a lot of help folks
1: right and then (laughs) we have a we have a therapist for the therapist that's for our relationship i see one-on-one myself because he works with men a lot and so but kate doesn't go to him usually for one-on-one stuff but anything i say to him in that can be brought back to our dual relationship conversation so, and then Kate has a therapist outside of that, right, as well. So, it's just like you, we navigate these waters. Uh, I, our friend, Alicia, asked me the question one day when I was talking to her about this. And she's like, how long have you been seeing this guy for? And I was like, five years, about five years. And she goes, do you still feel like you're getting what you need out of him? And I said, yes, because I don't only rely on him, right? There's other people as well who I've seen through this dynamic. So, and we like each other. Yeah, like I remember when I got my haircut with Cliff when he first moved to Maine. He was in this relationship with this woman, and they're no longer together. But he was like, "Wow, it seems like you and Kate really like each other," and I was like, "We do, <laughs> yeah." And I go, "Do you not like your lady?" He's like, "Well, not really." And I'm like, "Well, maybe you should not be with her. You not know, not gonna be a good choice. Yeah, it's not gonna be a good choice." And. We do have a good time together. We do
0: have a good time together. I think that we're both committed to growth. That's huge. I couldn't be with yeah. somebody who wasn't willing to look at themselves and grow and change and challenge themselves and challenge me and just like, I would be so freaking bored. So there's that. And then also Regina thomas Howard, who's aka Mama Gina, says that it's not love that keeps relationships together. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge. Like mm-hmm. just having fun together and just laughing and just being silly and not taking life so serious
1: but to kind of start at what you started off this question about like we are in a massive shift from what we've known for 10 years to what is going to be the next 10 years and what that will look like you know and it's been an interesting journey for both of us during this time around this kind of ending the podcast and kind of splitting up business roles and et cetera and empowering team and It's been really good, I think. I mean, for me, it feels really good. And it's also sad. You know, there's been grief around it. But I still feel connected to you. It wasn't the business that's holding us together. We were held together. The business was a part of it, right? And we were together for us, not for the business. If our relationship wasn't strong, then going through this business stuff would actually end our relationship. So, yeah and you know things are different they were started to get a lot of things started to get different once we had kids around this piece but yeah i think if it's constantly as you said the growth and the shifting of like even the dynamics that we're experiencing now where you're working a lot more i'm at home more i'm like doing things around the house taking care of random projects and stuff that needs to get done and then also like really kind of playing with my calling and what that looks like. So there's grace on each for each other during this time. Thanks for the question. Mm -hmm.
0: Thanks for all the questions, guys and gals and gals, people, people. If you want to come join us, we are having a wrap party. The day this episode goes live, the wrap party is tomorrow, Wednesday, September 16th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. You can go to katenorthrup.com forward slash party and you can sign up for it. And we're just going to come hang out with you for an hour on Zoom. That is the whole plan. We just want to see your faces and hang out and chat and talk and celebrate. Hear your biggest takeaways, your favorite episodes, whatever you got. We're excited to be there with you. So katenorthrup.com forward slash Party. Party. See you there. What if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were doing the right thing at the right time in your business? For 28 days, I'm hosting a free experience called Right Thing, Right Time. And during it, you will do a simple, incredible data tracking practice that is going to help you align your business and your productivity and workflow with the innate intelligence of your body and nature to get into peak flow so you can kick indecision to the curb, work less, and get better results. You can learn all about it and join us over at katenorthrup.com forward slash. R-T-R-T. Again, it's a 28-day free experience called Right Thing, Right Time. And you can join us at katenorthrup.com forward slash R-T-R-T.